Well, what did your table look like this week? Um, I don't know about you guys, sometimes my table is a catch-all. What about you guys? In fact, I imagine somewhere after noon today, this, this is kind of what my table is going to look like. Because uh, this is my son's backpack and uh, a sleeping bag and a pillow from Disciple Now. And that usually that's where stuff goes, right? The table, right? Or mail, junk mail piled up, homework, right? Bills, you name it. Sometimes the table becomes that and it gets cleaned off just for dinner and then you put everything back on it, right? Anybody do that in their home? Come on, let's just be honest. It's confession hour. Come on. Some of us do that. Uh, Sometimes, I don't know if your table looks like this, if there's a lot of listening going on when you're sitting around the table or maybe a lot of talking. Uh, my table looks kind of like this sometimes when we're sitting at a meal. If, if they don't have food in their mouth, they're, if they're not talking, they're waiting for the other one to stop talking so they can talk. <laughs> so so I mean, that's just kind of how we roll sometimes. Um, but sometimes at the table, we play games, right? Uh, good old Mad Gab, sometimes life, right? Life is too long for me. That's just, that's, right? Life is, is long. Anyway, uh, hey, but there's one game and, uh, that I want to do real quick. Pierce, come here, buddy that we love at our home, and there's going to be a couple over here, and there's a couple over here that have seen this before, and so, sorry for the repetition, but I had to do it, because I need to get this guy up on stage. So here's what we need to do. Okay, can you put this on? Don't mess your hair up, all right? Okay. There's a game we love, and it's called Headbands, all right? And uh, so, Pierce, you have not seen this card this morning, have you? Or at least you don't think you have, right? Okay, so we're in church, so no, no cheating, no lying, okay? You can't let him know what this is. So what Pierce is going to do is he's going to ask some questions, right? You're going to ask me some questions? And he's going to ask questions like this. Am I an animal? Right, let them see that. Let them see that. Am I an animal or am I something you eat? Okay, so you got to ask that. Am I this? So you ready? Okay, buddy, ask, ask away. Am I an animal? You are an animal. Uh, can you eat it? Well, I, I, gosh, I don't know. In some countries, you, <laughs> they might do that. I don't know. Uh, no, not, not, you shouldn't, <laughs> I think. Let's just say no. Do I live in the water? Live in the water? No. But, but I mean, you could step in the water. I don't know. Do they swim? They probably could swim. They do swim. But they don't live in the water. They don't live in the water. So it's not a fish or anything like that. If you're thinking fish, okay, it's not that. Do I live in a forest? In a forest? Um, it, yeah, t- some places, I've, technically, but we would call it something else. No, we don't live in a forest. We don't live in the woods. Ask them. I've seen, oh, never mind, go ahead. Do I live in the country? No, I mean, well, I mean, that, that's, that's hard. No, let's just say no, because I know what you're thinking. No. Uh, Come on, buddy, you got this. Can you shoot me? <laughs> Can you shoot me? Uh, <laughs> ask, ask, 
ask Eric Davenport. Uh, <laughs> some do, but not, not technically here. We don't hear. I'll give you a hint. You were asking earlier, do we live in a forest? Do we live in the woods? Um, they live in the jungle. Not a monkey. Not a monkey. They also live in the zoo. They also live in the zoo. They're big. Yeah! Yes. Stay there, buddy. Stay, am I an elephant? All right. Now, life is like this, okay? Um, life is like this a lot of times where we're asking, am I this? Am I that? Am I this? A lot of times we're, we're wanting the opinion of other people because we want to know what they think about us. We want that. We want the opinions of others. So, Life looks a lot like this for us sometimes. By the way, that's his name, right? This is Pierce. A lot of times we're wanting to know, what do you think about me? Do you, am I successful? You know, at, at work, when I go to work, am I doing a good enough job? Am I, am I meeting the cut? I mean, we, we want to know. And so identity is a big deal, who we are is a big deal. We, we want to know who we are. We want to know, is, is there somebody that, that cares about me, and do I matter? We all want to know that. And, 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 and I love James, because I think James helps us with that. It, it's important to know who we are and whose we are, right? It's important. So, so Pierce, sit down for a second, okay? I'll take the, the headband. Go sit back down for a second. Everybody say, thank you, Pierce. All right, come on. Woo! So, so here's the deal. There's a story of a gentleman 12 years ago in, in Atlanta, Georgia. He was walking down the street, and he got beaten up bad, left for death. Uh, brutal brain and head trauma, went to the hospital, uh, was in a coma for a while, uh, developed amnesia, woke up, didn't have a clue who he was. But here's the twist of the story. No identity on him. Nobody knew who he was. Not a soul knew who he was. They even called the FBI in to try to find out the identity of this gentleman who had been brutally beaten to help understand who is this guy. Nobody knew. And so if the FBI doesn't know, you call in Dr. Phil, right? And so they got this gentleman on, on Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil interviewed him on TV and trying to see, hey, can we... Can we figure out who this guy is? National audience at 3 p.m. or whatever. Um, and so nobody, nobody. So just think about this for a second. You don't know who you are, and nobody else does either. That'd be sad. Be horrible. Still today, he does not know who he was before the head trauma, and neither does nobody else. Can you imagine that? Amazing. There's a nurse that cares for him daily to help rehabilitate him, but that would be a, a horrible state. And, and that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with, with us as believers in here today. 
He, he wants to hide. He wants to destroy our identity. He wants us to forget who we are in Christ. And a lot of times trials and, and the stresses of life, the pressures of life can, can, can lead to that and cause us to forget who we are. But I want us to go back to last week before we tarry on in verse 19 and on. And I want us to remember in verse 17, remember what James said. First of all, he said, this is who God is. You remember? Look with me, if you would, in verse 17. He says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James said, remember who God is. He's the God who has created the, the lights who change and vary throughout the day from the moon, the stars, and the sun. But himself, who he is, he does not change in his character. He is holy, he is pure, he is loving, he is gracious, he is merciful, he is just. He is God, he is who he is, and he does not change. He's unchanging. And so we need to know God this morning, obviously. We need to know who he is. And then look at verse 18. He says this, in the exercise of his will, he brought us, uh, if, you, if you would circle us, you could link it back to verse one. Remember who he's writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes are God's people. They, they are God's treasured possession. Specifically here in this text, they're believers, they're Christians in the New Testament. They're those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says that by his will, he has brought us, by his sovereign will, into a relationship with him. And he's done it by the word of truth, by the gospel, um, which we saw this morning so beautifully displayed through the baptism of one who has trust in Jesus Christ, been baptized. And by the gospel, their life has been changed. And then look at the end of verse 18. He says, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. A first fruit is something that is set apart. In the Old Testament, it was, it was set apart for something that was sacred and holy for God. And so what he's saying here is that's who believers are. That's who Christians are. They, they are set apart by God for a sacred purpose. They are his holy ones. They're, they're a chosen nation. They're a holy people. They're a treasured possession. They're a royal priesthood. And if you know Christ this morning, that is who you are. That is your identity. You are God's. And you belong to him. And so it is significant that we not forget, one, who God is. That we're constantly reminded of who our God is the father of lights, but that we also do not forget who we are in him because the enemy wants us to forget. The enemy wants to destroy that. He wants to get, get rid of your identity. He wants you to forget that you matter to God and that, yes, you have a great purpose to declare his excellencies to the world of how you've been called out of darkness to light. He wants you to forget that, but James doesn't because here's James' message in this letter. James wants you to remember who God is, and yes, who we are, and here's the big deal why. is because those two points are crucial to how we live. Because how we live is to be in harmony, is to be united with those truths. That because of who you are and because of who God is, you are to live a certain way. And that's the whole rest of the book. 
That's what he wants to, to nail down. But it's so significant that we begin with God and we begin with who we are in him. And so look at verse 19. Look at what he says here. He says, this you know, my beloved brethren, this you know. It literally means this, know this, know this. And so here's what I think James is saying. Know this, know God, know who you are, and then know this, because what I'm about to tell you is so vital and so significant. Know that who you are and how you live, they must must match each other. They must be in harmony. They must be united. They must not be separate. Because who you are speaks to how you live. And how you live should speak to who you are. And so know that, beloved brethren. I think also there's a twist here. I think he wants us to remember that because I think sometimes we forget when the pressures of life come, when the stresses of life come, when the tense moments come, we can forget. And then what happens a lot of times is we don't act like we belong to him or we know him. And so James says, okay, let me tell you how we should live. Because of who we are, let me tell you how we should live. And there shouldn't be any shifting shadows. There shouldn't be any change or any difference. It should be clear, just like God is, that we belong to him. And so here it is. Look at verse 19, and we'll, we'll just roll through verse 27. Look what he says. He says, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so in light of who God is, in light of who we are, we ought to live this way. But can we just be honest, when trials and stresses and the pressures of life come, how many of us can say, I'm quick to hear, I'm slow to speak, and I'm I'm slow to anger? This was me yesterday. I was at a, a volleyball game watching my daughter, and uh, they played horrible, um, and I was, I, I got so involved, I, I was upset, I was upset. Any dads do that when your kids play rough, and you're like, oh man, this, it just brings you down, and uh, there was a bad call, and I just all of a sudden just yelled, what? <laughs> I did, and then I quickly, I mean, it was just hilarious, the Holy Spirit just like, boom, it's like, you're really letting this go a little far. Remember, they're 12. <laughs> I know nobody in here has ever done anything like that, so this is kind of rare, and I apologize, and we'll deal with it later with the elders. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but we do that. We do that. So he says here, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. God's given us how many ears to in one mouth. This in itself should remind us, right? That we should listen twice as much as we speak. That we should be a good listener and wise with our words. And so, so listen to these, these verses. Let me just kind of read these over you guys. They'll be up on the screen as well. But Proverbs ten nineteen. listen to what Solomon says. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Anybody got any talkers in their family? (laughs) 
right? Okay, good. <laughs> um, sometimes, I mean, my, my kids get a kick out. Sometimes I, I will look, and, and there's one in particular, and he's going to know this this morning. I will look at him often, and I will say, listen, hey, man, can we just stop talking? <laughs> and, and the lesson is because, hey, if we, we just keep rattling, transgression and sin in our words is, is unavoidable. And so we must restrain our lips. To restrain our lips is, is wise. And, and, and listen to this as well. This idea of, of speaking or, or being slow to speak also carries with it the idea of, of don't gossip. Because a lot of times, and I mean, we just rattle off and then we start talking about people. Proverbs 17, 27 says, he who restrains his words has knowledge and, and he who has a, a cool spirit is a man of understanding, of understanding. So here's what I think that looks like, just if we were to practically think about that. When we think of something we're about to say, before we just say it, it, it needs to, to obviously be here, and we need to think about it. But one of the things I love to tell my kiddos all the time is say, hey, listen, when it's up here, let it go down here before it goes here. Let it go here before it goes here. Let it run through the filter of your heart and ask the question, is, is this useful? Is, is this gonna be uplifting? Is this gonna wound somebody or is this gonna bring healing to somebody? Is this true? Let it run through here before it gets here. That's part of restraining. It's part of wisdom. It's part of being wise. This includes acting out in anger. This includes gossiping, that we would restrain those things that don't honor the Lord. So words have great power. They can wound, they can uplift, they can heal, they can destroy. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36. He says, I tell you that every careless, useless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Can we, every word we will give an accounting for. And so everything we say will be judged in the day of judgment. And so we're responsible. So what that means is, is those who are righteous before Christ, we are responsible to live righteously, to speak righteously, so that we would honor the Lord. And in Matthew 12, 34, a couple verses up, Jesus says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. If anger fills the heart, then that is what will spill out. If filthiness fills the heart, that is what will spill out, right? If falsehood fills the heart, that's what's gonna spill out. And so, James says, we're to live this way. Well, what's going to help us live this way is vital. What's going to help us live this righteous way is vital. It includes adding some things. So we're to be good listener. We're to be wise with our words, careful with what we say. But look at verse 21. We also got to get rid of stuff. We've got to eliminate stuff based on who we are and who God is. We've got to get rid of stuff. Look what he says in verse 21. Therefore, what do we do when there's a Therefore. We ask what therefore is there for, okay? It causes us to look back, all right? And so I think what it's causing us to look back at is, is verse 12, where it says this, that you and I are to persevere. 
that we're to endure. So through the pressures, through the stresses, through the trials, through temptations, we're to endure through the tests of life. As those who are approved, meaning we belong to him. And so we should live like him even through the trials and especially through the trials. And those who do have the crown of life, they're blessed. Meaning they will experience abundant life here. They have eternal life. They will see Christ one day. And so he's saying, therefore, in relation to that, that that you are one who has eternal life. You have a relationship with Christ. And also this, look at verse 15. You remember last week in verse 15? Temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to what? Death. And what he's saying is, is therefore, because of that, because of these two truths, and because you have the crown of life, If you know Christ, you need to do this. And look what he says in verse 21. Put aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. And so what are we to do? We're to put aside. This doesn't mean I'm just going to leave my filthiness and my immorality, my impurity. I'm just going to put it over here. I'm going to put it over here. That's not the kind of put aside he's talking about. He's talking about get rid of it. No more. Flee from it. Kick it out. What does he say to kick out? Filthiness. All kinds of unclean behavior that lies outside of God's will, including anger. But get it out. And so if there's immorality, if there's impurity that you're struggling with, get it out. Do everything. Be be wild about getting rid of it. I mean, get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's wise. And then he says, not only that, we're to get rid of all that remains of wickedness. And so those evil habits maybe that that carried over for the the unredeemed world that you lived in before you came to Christ, some of us had those, or maybe it's some things you've picked up along the way that you've picked up just in the world or through the culture or through something, whatever it may be. Maybe it's uh, your language. Maybe uh, it's a habit you now live with in immorality and impurity. We talked a little bit about that last week. And what he's saying here is get rid of those things. Get rid of those evil habits. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. And if if that's you today, what are you going to do to get rid of it? Because it isn't just going to go away on its own. And you, you might be able to get rid of it for a week, but it's going to flare up or want to flare up in another week or next month. And so how, how serious are you about getting rid of things that are filthy and that wickedness that remains? And so here's the deal. I, I would encourage you to get with somebody and tell them and, and let them know and, and say, hey, will you hold me accountable? Will you ask me tough questions? Will you... Encourage me with the word of God. And that's what he goes to next. Look at the the end of verse 21. He says this, In humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And so get rid of this and get a lot of this, is what he says next. The idea of receive here is let it control you. Let this control you. Don't let this control you. Remember, we want to get rid of this. But let this control you. And what is this? The word of God. Let the word of God come in and control you. Let let his compass and chart pilot you. 
Let it control you. Well, how do we receive it? Well, he says, with gentleness. What does that mean? Meekness, or, or not gentleness, humility. That means gentleness and meekness. But really what it also means is with teachability. So it means I come to the word of God, whether it's a setting like this or a Bible study, or whether it's my daily reading, I'm getting, having a devotional time, and I'm coming to be taught. I'm coming to learn. I'm not just coming to check a box, right? So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take the word of God and read it in a way that you can walk away and, and, and do something to change your life. Let it change your life. I told a buddy here this week, and I'm gonna just encourage you with this too. Don't just read the word of God to read it. Don't just read it to read it. I mean, it, it's real easy one morning just, just to move the bookmark a page over or a few pages over, and maybe that's all we really did, right? I mean, there's mornings like that where I can look back and say, I think I just moved a bookmark, and that's about it. Sit down and read the word of God, and, and, and maybe here's an example. This is what I mean. Instead of reading like 10 chapters, read one. And I'm saying, well, well, hold a second. Don't we want more of the word? Yeah. But we want more of it in a way that it impacts us and changes us. So here's what I would encourage you. If you're struggling with, with, with letting the word of God change you and really impact you, come down, take the book of John, just an example, take chapter a day, get a piece of paper out, right at the top of the paper, say, hey, what is this saying? And ask questions. Write them down. And then on the back of that, ask the other question. What is this saying about Jesus? I will tell you this. In John, you'll find a lot of answers to that, <laughs> especially in chapter one. And then a third question is, what is this saying to me? I think that's what teachability is. And if we're serious about it, we, we do stuff like that. But to be teachable, it takes time. And so one of the things that, that cramps our, our time now is um, these little devices called phones. They're devices now, right? And, and I'm, not, I'm not, I mean, they're part of reality now. And I'm not, I'm not anti. But we've got to be careful because we're doing this a lot. And when we're, we're doing this a lot, I, I would ask the question, could, could instead of, you know, doing this, could we be in the Word. Could, could we make some changes of that? Could we, instead of in the morning, picking up our iPhone and, and, and getting on that real quick and, and doing that, I'm in the habit a lot of times, I get up and, and I'll you know, grab some water, I'll, I'll take, uh, go to the restroom real quick, and, and when I'm doing that, I'll, I'll get on my phone and, and, and look at the weather, and I'll even look at it, okay, did the Mavericks win a game? I mean, just things like that. I mean, I'll just do things like that. And, and then I'll go, you know, sometimes get in the Word, but but sometimes I'm like, why am, why am I even just doing that, the quick look? Why, am I, why don't I just get to the Word and start there? It could be that, or it could just be that, hey, look at your, your social media involvement or your computer or your whatever iPhone involvement and just say, hey, I'm going to commit to be in the Word first <laughs> before I pick that stuff up. I'm going to commit to be in the Word 
more than, than, than I have. Maybe, maybe it's starting off by doing 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. And some of you guys might be saying, oh, that's kind of lightweight. No, it's not. No, it's not. Start there. Start there. And make time. If we're going to be teachable, it takes time. It takes time. And learn. Make that a time where you're learning something that will greatly impact and change your life. Because that's what the word of God does. And so it's been implanted in you. Look at verse 21. It's been implanted in you. I think that's the idea. How has it been implanted in you? The gospel. And it has saved your soul. But here's the idea too. It is a seed that is to continue to be watered. And so how do we do that? With the word of God. And that it would continue to save us in the sense of this. You're already saved, but it will save us from falling into temptation, from sinning, and eventually the consequences of that sin. That's what the word of God does. And if we fail to, if we fail to to let that seed be watered that has been planted in us, we will run into trouble. So the word of God is crucial. Look at verse 22 and 24. We're going to roll fast here. Look what he says. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And so we just don't come to the word of God and just just a hearer of it. I just don't sit out here. I'm just not a hearer of it. But I'm going to go and take something I've learned today from the Lord, and I'm going to go do it. I'm going to be changed. You see, the biblical line between a disciple of Christ and one who is not is clear. Is clear. 1 John 3.10 says this. I want you to hear this. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Guys, this is huge. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother. What James is saying here is, hey, listen, you can be a hearer of the word. You can study the word. You can know the word back and front. You can even communicate the word. But if you're not practicing righteousness, if you're not quick to hear, slow to speak, avoiding anger, if you're not getting rid of filthiness and getting rid of all the wicked habits, then James would say, are you just a mere hearer? He says, I want you to be a doer. And this is what a doer does. A doer comes to the mirror. And the mirror in this case, the example is the idea of the word of God. That you come to the word of God. Think about this. You go to a mirror in the morning and and, and you look at yourself and and you see yourself in that mirror. And then what he's saying is is you walk away and you forget what what you saw and what kind of person you were. And what he's saying here is, don't read the word of God like that. Don't treat the word of God like that. Instead, look at verse 25. But one who looks intently, intently means bent over, paying attention. I'm fixed on this. This is serious. I'm hungry for it. I'm thirsty for it. And I want this to impact me. That's what it means. And he says here, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, abides by it, lives by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So we look intently 
at the perfect law. The perfect law meaning it is good, it, it is without error, and we look at the law of God intently meaning we examine it, we observe it, just like we talked about before, not with some superficial glance and just moving a bookmark each day, but that we look at the perfect law of God, this guide, this chart, this compass that the Lord has given us, the perfect will of God. Unlike the mirror, it gives us a true, undistorted revelation of who we really are. It's the law of liberty. It's also the law of liberty, meaning that it frees us from the bondage of sin. It frees us to go and obey. And so we must abide by it. We must fix our attention upon it, continually live according to it, meaning obey it, so that we will be an effectual doer and not just a mere hearer. And those who do will be blessed. They will be filled with joy. They'll be satisfied even though life may be tough. And they'll be content. And then lastly, look what he says in verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Remember what Paul said to the letter of the Corinthians. He said this, there is a godliness. There is a godliness without power. And that's what James has in mind here. You see, what, what, what the word of God does, what the word of God is power. It, it powerful, it is active, it is living. And it changes hearts. That's what it does. But if we are not willingly to come up under it and submit to the word of God and let it change our life and to live according to it, then he says here, our religion is useless. And one of the key indicators of that, is, again, is our mouth he brings up. You know, on average, we say 18,000 words a day. That's a lot. That's average. That's average. And so it's an indicator of our heart. And he says here, if we cannot bridle, if we can hold it under control, then Christ is not controlling our heart. And then lastly, look what he says as well. He says, pure and undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father, is this, to visit orphans, widows in their distress, and to keep one unstained by the world. The other key indicator is that you and I are to love others. We're to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. To show compassion to them, to care for them. And as well, to keep our life holy and pure. So back to headbands. Fun game. But if you were to look out at the world, the people you hang out with, people at work, people at school, people wherever, what do you think they would say? What do you think they would say that you are? based on our speech, based on what we say, what we do, what we laugh at, what we don't laugh at, based on how we care for others, based on how we treat others, what would they say? 
would they say Christian? Would they say, oh yeah, without a doubt. He's a Christian, she's a, she's a Christian. You see, the title of, of Christian was first given to the disciples at a place called Antioch. And you remember that these believers, they didn't label themselves. Who labeled them? The world. They called them Christians because they were followers of Christ. Little, little Christ was the idea. So would people give you and I that label based on our actions at the sporting event? By the way, I apologize to a lady down below me for my outburst yesterday because I was convicted. But what would they say? What would they say after their time with us? What would our neighbors say? Would they say, oh yeah, that's, that's an effectual doer. <laughs> that's one who, yeah, he's, they belong to Jesus. You see, that's what James so desires. That we wouldn't just be mere hearers, but we would be doers. People that they know God, they know the Father of lights, they know who they are, that they belong to him. And because of that, their life matches that. There is no shifting shadow. It's clear. It's clear. If you're here today and you've heard us talk about this life that God wants for us, for those who, who love him and, and know him, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you hear this word here and you're like, man, I'm just, I've, maybe you've just been playing religion. God doesn't just want religion. It's not what he's about. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you and love you. And he wants you to be his child. And if you've never trusted in him, know that the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, and you can now be a child of God. And that's why Christ went to the cross, to die for you, so that you could have a new life in him. You could have eternal life. If you don't know him today, start there. Trust Christ, believe in him. Let me pray.